Yeah, I love coming to a church where worship is a full body exercise this morning. Some of you burn more calories on Sunday morning than you burned all week long. Um, how many of you are doing the 100 days of Bible reading through the New Testament? Are you caught up? How many of you are a little behind? A little behind? Just catch up. It's okay. It's okay. Just keep going. I think I read uh, in the last part of Luke as Jesus was riding into town, there was a party. There were celebrations going on. There were props involved. People were ripping branches off trees and throwing them in the air. They were using every available tool to exalt Jesus. And of course, the religious fatheads came along and said, would you please tell these people to calm down? And do you remember what Jesus said to him? If they don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. So there is a very real responsibility of every Christian to make sure the rocks remain silent. And many of you did a great job at that this morning. Open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the final chapter of the recorded words of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we have in our Bibles. As you're finding your way there, let me also add my invitation to join me tonight for prayer. Your pastor is needy and your Savior is worthy. And so if you're as needy as your pastor, then come and pray with your pastor tonight at six o'clock. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do. There was a lot of energy expended this week, obviously with Vacation Bible School. Um, there was a man named A.J. Gordon that said this, we can do more than pray after we've prayed, but we can do nothing but pray until we pray. And everything that we've experienced this week we trust has been fueled by the answer to our prayers that we prayed last month in our Fresh Encounter prayer meeting. And so we need to come together as a church and pray for what God is going to do in the days ahead. Without prayer, we can do nothing of eternally significant value. So that's why we pray. Let me read to you the words of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 1. We're going to specifically focus on verses 3 and 4, but let's set the context. Last week we unpacked these words. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then he tells him why in verses three and four. Verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Let me just say, do you see the word teaching there? Some of you may have the New American or the New International Version, and the word there is doctrine. Doctrine's the great word there. The, the, the Greek word behind it is, uh, is the word that we get our doctrine from. So if you hear me mention doctrine, it's coming from this word teaching that I have in my English Standard Version. So there's coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I brought along with me one of my most treasured possessions. This is my Notre Dame University library card. They let me have a library card. They feel sorry for this pastor, and so they let me have a library card so I can come and see the books. Now, what you may not know, um, some of you don't, actually all of you know where the library is. Does everybody know where the library is in Notre Dame, Kansas, otherwise known as... Touchdown Jesus, right. Uh, behind Touchdown Jesus, actually about, about right behind his forehead, on the 12th floor is the theology floor. Um, it's where you'll find just racks and racks and rows and rows of doctrinal books just unpacking what is the Bible and what does it mean and how should we respond to it. And, and uh, there are good books there, there are bad books there, there are Protestant books there, there are Catholic books there, there's Mormon books there. there it's just a theological library 
library. And because I have a library card, um, especially in the early days of our church when we couldn't afford any books for the pastor, um, I got to go up there and check out the books. They let you keep the books for six months, unlike your library that only gives it to you for three weeks and then you pay fines, right? They, they, so I've got stacks, or I've had stacks and stacks of, of library books um, as I've studied the Bible to understand these things. Now, the, the reality is very few people go to the 12th floor because fewer and fewer people are actually interested in sound doctrine. We're living in a time when the best-selling Christian books and the most popular Christian speakers and the best-attended Christian events are thin on sound doctrine. If you want to gather a crowd or if you want to sell a book or you want to develop a following, apparently what you'll need is to have some mystical or sensational religious experience and write about that. Um, you'll need to promise health and wealth uh, to everybody as long as they'll believe hard enough, name it and claim it. Um, you'll need to promote speculative views on the end times. You'll need to explain away thousands of years of orthodox biblical teaching on marriage, sexuality, and gender while claiming to be a Christian biblical scholar. You'll need to describe what it's like to die and go to heaven, or better yet, hell, and then come back and tell us all about it. That's the kind of subject matter that creates interest today. Unfortunately, people interested in sound doctrine are few and far between. And that's why Paul's words to Timothy in this last chapter of his book to Timothy um, are a reminder that drifting away into theological fantasy land is nothing new. Paul was writing about it 2,000 years ago and he was warning about this time. I don't know if he was prophesying about 2021 or not, but seems like we're in these times. What is new is now we have the technology to so easily deliver bad doctrine to narcissistic, consumeristic, itching ears. And because so many people who are biblically illiterate don't have the discernment to sift through what they're hearing, the platforms for bad theology are growing and those who teach bad doctrine have greater and greater influence. Charles Spurgeon, preacher of 150 years ago, once said this, one of these days you will need a microscope to find a grain of evangelical doctrine in a dozen sermons. So he must have been thinking about this time as well. Now, bad teaching is a problem, but here's why there's a market for bad teaching. The problem is the lack of endurance for what the Bible calls sound doctrine. Do you see where it says, it mentions this word endure. The time will come when people will not endure. They'll put up with it for a while, but after a while they lose endurance and they drift off into things that are easier to listen to. This word endure is the same word that was used by Luke in chapter 9, verse 41, speaking of Jesus. Um, it says, Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you and bear with you? Apparently, Jesus has more endurance with us than we have with him. And he says that this doctrine is something called sound. Do you see the word sound there? Um, it's interesting. You're talking about sound doctrine. It's kind of a play on the English word, but it's not what it's really talking about. Um, the word sound there, sound doctrine, it comes from the Greek word that we get our word hygiene from. It means healthy, healthy doctrine. It's good for you. It makes you spiritually healthy. And so if you consume unhealthy doctrine, It'll make you spiritually sick. As a matter of fact, it has the potential to spiritually kill you. So he wants us to understand the importance of enduring sound doctrine. Now let's talk about this word doctrine here, this word teaching here. Um, it comes from the word didascalia. If you want to press your friends with a Greek word, you can use the word didascalia. That's where we get our word doctrine from. And uh, this is what it means. Doctrine is simply a summary statement of all that the Bible teaches on any particular topic. 
Doctrine is what prevents us from shallow, emotional, experience-oriented religion. Now listen, there is something to be said about an experience. We want you to have an experience with God. We want you to have a filling of the Holy Spirit. I need that every day. That, that's what prevents uh, Christianity from just becoming some scholarly academic exercise. And yet, doctrine is so important for a people who so often crave experience-oriented religion. So doctrine answers the most important questions on the most important subjects. You should be asking now, what subjects? Thank you for participating in church this morning. What subjects, what are the most important questions? Well, in order to answer the most important questions, you would have to study the doctrine of God. Theologians have a word for that. We call it theology, theos, God. Theology, study of, study of God. So this is theology proper. And that helps us to answer important questions like this. Does God exist? What is the evidence? What are the attributes, the characteristics? What is the personhood of God? Is there only one God? Is God three persons or one person who manifests himself in three different ways? Is God loving? Is God holy? Is God good? Is God sovereign? Doctrine helps us answer those questions. And and if you read the Bible, you put together summaries and conclusions and you answer those questions. Uh, Something else that you're going to need to answer are questions about ourselves. This is the doctrine of man. This is what we call anthropology. The questions are, what is the nature of man? Did God create man or did man create God? Did we evolve from some primordial soup over eons of time through random chance and circumstance? Or did God specifically design and create man for a specific purpose? What purpose would that be? Do all men and women have equal dignity, value, and worth? Do all people groups, races have equal value, dignity, and worth? The Bible helps us answer those questions. It's the doctrine of man, anthropology. The doctrine of Christ, we call this Christology. Questions like, who is the Christ that was promised in the Old Testament? What is the nature of Christ? Did Jesus sin? Could Jesus have sinned? Was Jesus a good man who became God, or was Jesus God who became man. What is Jesus doing right now? He's not here physically on the earth, so where is he and what's he up to? Doctrine of Christ helps us answer those questions. Do you have questions? Do you have answers for these questions? You do if you embrace sound doctrine. How about the doctrine of salvation? That's a pretty important question. We call that soteriology. How does God save man? What's the nature of atonement? What happened on the cross? Did Jesus' death on the cross provide an opportunity for men to be saved? Or did Jesus' death on the cross guarantee the salvation of all of the elect for whom he died? Do you have an answer to that question? What about the free will of man? What about the free will of God in salvation? How does the free will of man relate to the free will of God? Can you lose your salvation? Or does God eternally secure the salvation of all those whom he saves? That's the doctrine of salvation. How about the doctrine of the church? What are we doing here? What is this? What is this place? And how is it governed? And what is a church? And are three guys meeting in a coffee shop? on a Sunday or on a Thursday night, reading the Bible, is that a church? Um, How is the church governed? What are the requirements for membership in the church? What are the responsibilities of membership in the church? What's the responsibility of pastors toward the membership in the church? How is a church to exercise spiritual, uh, how is a church to exercise church discipline on unrepentant members. What is the mission of the church? What's the purpose of the church? How about the doctrine of last things? How's this all going to end? We call that eschatology, and the Bible helps us answer those questions. What happens when we die? What is heaven like? 
Is there a hell? Who goes there? How do you prevent going there? Is Jesus coming back to earth? When is Jesus coming back to earth? What will he do when he gets back to earth? What is the new heaven and the new earth? What is the final judgment? I have a question. How many of you have answers to all those questions? How many of you are interested in those questions? They're like, give me some doctrine, feed my soul. I didn't come to church to, five, to find five ways to make me don't worry and be happy. I hope that's not why you came. You probably, you probably only came a couple of times if that's why you wanted to, to hear from a church. We need to endure sound doctrine. Now, how many of you are members of Gospel City Church? Raise your hand if you're a member. Look at all these faithful members. Thank you for the service and the responsibility that you embrace around here. Now, if you remember, when you came to the Welcome Home membership class, there was an application involved in becoming a member of the church. And the question, there was a, a box on the, the, the application that said, I have read and affirm the doctrinal statement of Gospel City Church. Remember checking that box? Now, do you, do you know how when you download an app on your phone, they ask you to agree to the terms and conditions and you have to like check the box, but you have to lie because none of us ever read the terms and conditions. We just want the app, right? Just give me the app. I'll just, I, I know I'm probably opening up my everything. If, anyway, we don't want you to have to lie to become a member of the church. And so what we do in the membership class is we actually take the time to read the doctrinal statement. Now, those of you that raised your hand and said, I'm a member, how many of you have actually read the doctrinal statement since your membership class. How many of you actually like looked up the Bible verses that are inserted into the doctrinal statement? Now, it, by the way, if you're not a member, please join us at the membership class and, and jump on the train here and, uh, you know, let's study these things together and, and, and lock arms as a church. Now, this is what we're going to do here this morning, okay? Um, one, one of the ways that we make that a little easier is we actually recorded the pastors of our church reading the doctrinal statement, and we all watch it. It's about seven minutes long. And we recorded this five years ago. So guess what we're about to do? We're, can you endure seven minutes of an avalanche of doctrine coming at you? Can you endure that? The time will come when some people cannot endure seven minutes of listening to doctrine coming at them. Now, we're going to watch this. Now, let me give you a disclaimer here first. All right, now, first of all, this was recorded about five years ago. Um, our pastors have changed. Micah's hair is very different in the video, okay? <laughs> and, um, and we've all, the rest of us have aged. Two of the pastors you're going to see on the screen um, are not pastors in our church anymore. You say, oh, because we sent them out of here to plant two churches. So we're going to say, oh, I remember that guy. He's planting a church. And, and so you're going to see some different things on here. But here's what I want you to know. Even though we've changed, the doctrine hasn't changed. And so we're going to take some time. Now, if you do your job right, you're going to worship while you respond to sound doctrine coming at you. And if you pay attention, almost all of the questions that I just raised are going to be answered in the next seven minutes. Watch this. We believe the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments to be the full record of God's self-disclosure to mankind. Different men, while writing according to their own styles and personalities, were supernaturally moved along by the Holy Spirit to record God's very words, inerrant in their original writings. Therefore, those applying themselves to the study of the literal, historical, grammatical context can accurately understand God's Word. Scripture is fully trustworthy as our final and sufficient authority for all of life. We believe in the one living, true God, eternally existing in perfect unity as three equally and fully divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead, while executing distinct but complementary roles in redemptive history, has precisely the same nature, attributes, and being, and is equally worthy of the same glory and honor and obedience. 
We believe that God the Father created all things in six literal days for His glory according to His own will through His Son, Jesus Christ. He upholds all things by the word of His power and grace, exercising sovereign headship over all creation, providence, and redemption. We believe that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, moved by love in accordance with the will of the Father, took on human flesh. Conceived through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, He was born of the Virgin Mary. He, being fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life and sacrificially shed His blood and died on the cross in our place, accomplishing redemption for all who place their faith in Him. He arose visibly and bodily from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven, where at the Father's right hand, He is now head of His body, the church, the only Savior and mediator between God and man, and will return to earth in power and glory to consummate His redemptive mission. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that He does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ during this age. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He draws the unredeemed to repentance and faith, and that salvation imparts new spiritual life to the believer, bringing that person into union with Christ and the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit sanctifies, seals, fills, guides, instructs, comforts, equips, empowers, permanently indwells at salvation, and bestows spiritual gifts to the believer for Christ-like living and service. We believe that God created mankind, male and female, in His own image and likeness, free of sin to glorify Himself and enjoy His fellowship. Tempted by Satan, but in the sovereign plan of God, man freely chose to disobey God, bringing sin, death, and condemnation to all mankind. All human beings, therefore, are totally depraved by nature and by choice, alienated from God without defense or excuse, and subject to God's righteous wrath. All of mankind is in desperate need of the Savior. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures as the substitutionary atonement in our place and that salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. Before creation, God chose those who would be saved and granted His unearned grace solely based on His sovereign good pleasure. Jesus Christ's death on the cross was the sole and complete payment for our sins, fully satisfying God's righteous wrath for each person that turns from sin in repentance and places their faith in Christ alone by grace alone. At salvation, each person is made a new creation by the Holy Spirit, declared righteous before God and secured as an adopted child of God forever. Genuine faith continues in obedience and love for Jesus Christ with a life eager to glorify God and persevere to the end. We believe that upon placing one's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the believer is made part of the body of Christ, the one universal church of which Jesus Christ is the head. The scriptures command believers to gather locally in order to devote themselves to worship, prayer, teaching of the word, fellowship, the ordinances of baptism and communion, service to the local body through the development and use of talents and spiritual gifts, and outreach to the world to make disciples. Wherever God's people meet regularly in obedience to this command, there is the local expression of the church under the watchful care of a plurality of elders. A church's members are to work together in love and unity, intent on the ultimate purpose of glorifying Christ. We believe it is the aim, duty, and privilege of every believer in the local church fellowship to glorify God by responding as active participants in the Great Commission call of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. We believe the primary focus and priority of this call is centered on efforts that establish, strengthen, and reproduce biblically-based churches, which will then plant churches that plant churches for future generations and God's glory. We believe that Christian baptism is a public declaration of the believer's salvation in Christ, identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, symbolized by immersion in water. 
The Lord's Supper is the united commemoration by believers of Christ's death until he comes and should be preceded by a careful self-examination. We believe in and expectantly await the glorious, visible, personal, premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of his return has vital bearing on the personal life, service, and mission of the believer. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath in hell. The saved will be raised to eternal joy in the new heaven and new earth in the manifested presence of God. The time will come when people will not endure that kind of sound teaching. And let me tell you, even if you are a member of Gospel City Church and you have been exposed to that doctrinal statement, and even if you come on Sundays and hear sound teaching, and I believe that Gospel City Church teaches sound doctrine. I think the word on the street out there in the community is, if you're a person that's looking for sound teaching, then Gospel City Church is one of the churches you're going to want to check out. But let me tell you, as your pastor, just coming to church and hearing sound teaching is not enough to anchor you so that you never drift away from it. Um, nowadays, surveys have been conducted and even the best, most committed members of a good church that teaches sound, dis sound doctrine only show up about half the time. 26 exposures a year to sound doctrine is not enough. And so one of the things that we're gonna be doing over the course of the next few months is creating more spaces to teach sound doctrine. And you're gonna hear a bit more about that, but there's, there's like 11 or 12 different sections of our doctrinal statement. What if we took 12 weeks and did a deep dive on each one of those topics and you all came and we all together unified around those doctrines. Uh, you've heard it said before, doctrine divides. How many of you ever heard that? Doctrine divides, it's not true. Doctrine unites incredibly diverse people who can't agree on anything other than, hey, we really love Jesus. Let's lock arms and get it done together. And so that's what we're going to be doing. But notice what he says next in verse 3. It says, the time's coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Here's the problem. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. How many dog owners in the room? If you're a dog owner, raise your hand. How many of you that still have your hand in the air, how many of you believe your dog loves you? How many of you actually believe that your dog has kind of this romantic relationship <laughs> with you? you? You believe that? Hey, let me teach you some sound doctrine. Your dog loves himself, okay? Your dog loves his ears, and your dog loves you only if you do what? You scratch the ears. In a lot of ways, your dog's like you, right? And, and a lot of Christians are like that. We love the teachers that create this sensual pleasure that comes when we have our ears scratched. Um, I, you know, I did a little research, like, what, why, do, why do ears itch? And I did a little research on this, and, and I, I found out that ears itch when there's a, there's a problem, like you have a rash or you have an infection. Um, one of our children, who shall remain nameless, um, had this problem with like constant wax buildup in their ears. And, and uh, many of you know Dr. Kletzing in our church. Dr. Kletzing has the greatest job title in the world. He is an auto-rhino-orinthologist, or larynx. Anyway, he's got the greatest title in the world. He's an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. That's what he does. He digs around in people's ears, throats, and noses for a living. This is great. And I, I, we would take our, this child and say, help, and he would dig around. I have watched Dr. Kletzing pull out enough wax, like the size of my index finger, out of one of my children's ears before. And like, oh, I feel so much better. This is, my ear's not itching anymore. I wish 
as a pastor, I could dig around in some people's ears and pull out those stuff that they've been filling them with. No wonder their ears itch all the time. They've got so much wax buildup from bad doctrine that needs to be pulled out so we can insert some good doctrine back in there. Um, Andrea told me when she was a little kid, they had to put tubes in her ears because of all the stuff that was going in, just drain it out. I wish I could put tubes in your ears to drain out all the stuff that's causing ear infections in here. People have itching ears. It's an interesting analogy that Paul uses here. So what what does it mean to have itching ears? Spiritually, what is he talking about? Um, Now, we know that this includes unsaved, unregenerate people. They don't have any tolerance for Bible teaching. They don't believe the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They don't love the Bible. And you know what? We shouldn't expect them to. Do you remember how allergic to the Bible you were before God opened your ears to actually hear what God would say to you? Do you remember how offensive it was to you? You you didn't want to go anywhere near some Bible person that was going to fill your ears full of Bible. Listen, we shouldn't expect other people to love the Bible until God opens their ears and opens their eyes. We can pray that that'll happen. Jesus is always telling in the Gospels, if you've been reading, it's like, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like, you, you can't even hear spiritual truth until God opens those ears. And so, now that we believe, then our job is to fill the ears with truth for those that have ears to hear. But listen, do you see the word people? He says, there will come a time when people will not endure sin. Who are the people that Paul's talking about? He's talking about church people. He's writing to Pastor Timothy, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus. Paul is saying, there's going to come a time when people in your church, people who identify as Christians, will not tolerate sound teaching. So what does it mean to have itching ears? One scholar I read this week said this, itching ears refers to people who crave spicy bits of information due to mere curiosity. They have a desire to dabble with novelty. They covet new, fashionable ideas and long for the excitement of having their ears teased by satisfying but harmless mumbling of pseudo-scholarship. I thought that describes a lot of people that I know. I've, I've watched people who used to really anchor themselves to sound doctrine, get bored with old-fashioned truth, got outdated for them. They got too cool for sound doctrine. So they went searching for something else. They begin to doubt what they've been taught and believed all of their lives. They become increasingly skeptical of trustworthy sources of truth and sound doctrine. They get addicted to collecting novel information that it seems like only a few of us really know the truth. Everyone else is deceived. That's what happens when you have itching ears. They listen to only voices they agree with. They tune out everyone with whom they disagree and they declare war on people that used to be people they trusted. And then it says they accumulate for themselves itching ears. The word accumulate means to collect more than is needed. Just one bad teacher would be dangerous enough if they start scratching your ears. But people who have itching ears actually pile them up in abundance. They compile a list of their favorite teachers or their authorized approved list that they want to hear. They listen to their podcast and their sermons. They read their books. They listen to their audio. Uh, they, they read their blogs. They follow their Facebook and Instagram accounts. They subscribe to their YouTube channel. And they ignore the fact that so little of what is filling their ears is anchored in scripture or the fact that it's taken out of context in what it originally was intended to say. So, there's people who have itching ears, and be, be honest, all of us at times have itching ears. We all like teachers that make our ears feel good. But the problem is, not only are there people who have itching ears, there are people who scratch itching ears. There are ear scratchers out there. 
that are looking to prey on people who have itching ears. How can you identify an ear scratcher? Ear scratchers give people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Ear scratchers indulge the appetites of their hearers. Ear scratchers manipulate the mind and entertain the emotion, but ear scratchers never confront the will. Ear scratchers are more concerned about those who will be affected or offended if they speak the truth rather than to be concerned about those who will be deceived and destroyed if they don't speak the truth. It's a problem in the church today. In an attempt to hold the attention of the next generation, the young people, like where are the young people going? All the young people don't go to church anymore. What are we gonna do? And so we develop strategies to itch or scratch these itching ears. And we stop teaching deep doctrine. Young people are not leaving the church because the church is teaching deep doctrine. Young people are leaving the church because the church is not teaching deep enough doctrine. They're tired of having a church placate them and give them five ways to have a better relationship. What they need is answers to the most important questions. They need to hear things that God has said about himself. They need to hear things that God has said about why we're so jacked up and what's the solution to it. They need to hear things related to salvation and the kingdom of Christ on earth right now and the one that is to come. They may not be what people want to hear, but it's the things that people need to hear. And God promises if we will be faithful to sound doctrine, he will ensure that he opens enough ears for there to be a remnant that will carry the doctrine into the future. Our responsibility is not to scratch ears. It is to fill ears surgically and strategically with sound doctrine. Ear scratchers drift into theological liberalism every time. They soften the hard things in the Bible. They round off the hard edges because they don't want to offend anybody. They don't really believe the Bible. They believe the Bible has some good moral lessons to it, but they don't believe that everybody needs to repent and trust Christ alone for salvation. Ear scratchers teach that you can become healthy and wealthy and wise like Benjamin Franklin if you'll just align yourself enough with faith and claim what's been promised to you. Ear scratchers teach that what the Bible says about sexuality doesn't really have meaning contemporary. That was for another time. And, and there's, there's new definitions for the old-fashioned words you see there. Ear scratchers refuse to stand and take a position on important doctrinal issues like justice for the marginalized, gender issues, eternal punishment, God's sovereignty and salvation. Ear scratchers often claim that they found some new novel truth that has never been seen before in the history of the world. And they try to promote that because there's itching ears out there that are interested. Ear scratchers may claim that truth is unknowable. I mean, the Bible's such a confusing book. It's so big and we don't really know the context. And so ear scratchers don't believe in the purposecuity of Scripture. Remember how we've talked about all those different doctrines of Scripture? The necessity of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. Remember how we went through all those? There's one more, the perspicuity of Scripture. Is, is that clear? Do, do you know about the perspicuity of Scripture? Do you know what the word perspicuity means? How many of you say, I have no idea. That's why I come to church, to learn these things. The word perspicuity means clear little hint in preaching, never use the word perspicuity when you can use the word clear. The Bible is clear. In other words, you can understand it if you read it. We believe that you, without some special knowledge or teacher, can read the Bible. It's clear, but ear, ear scratch, oh, you, you can't really understand it. It's too hard for you. So just, just don't, don't bother. That's what an ear scratcher does. Now, there are those with itching ears. There are those who scratch ears. There's one more category that I want to talk about. 
There are those who scorch ears. Listen to me. If ear scratching is sinful, how many of you agree? Ear scratching is sinful. Don't scratch ears. If ear scratching is sinful, ear scorching is just as sinful. In order to avoid being an ear scratcher, you don't have to become an ear scorcher. You say, what are you talking about? Think about this. You read it last week if you've been reading the Bible. Do you know that the last miracle that Jesus did before he went to the cross was heal the ear of a man who'd been scorched by Peter, a follower of Christ? Jesus went right after, Peter went right after his head. I think he missed and got his ear. But followers of Jesus have been known to do damage to the ears of people. I, I would call them ear scorchers. Listen, you do just as much damage by scorching ears as you do by scratching ears. So, how do you identify an ear scorcher? Ear scorchers love to call out sin. They love to confront sinners, but they lack grace and compassion as they're doing it. Um, the, the church that I was saved in, it was a Bible-preaching, pulpit-pounding, high-volume, sin-smashing preaching church. And I got saved under that ministry. But if we're not careful, we can think that that's the only way to communicate. Listen, if you preach the truth without grace, if you preach sound doctrine without grace, you're actually denying the doctrines of grace that you say you are affirming. And if you preach grace without truth, you are not preaching sound doctrine. I've said this before, but when it comes to sound doctrine, you are wrong if you are wrong in the way that you are right, you are wrong even if you are right. Don't be an ear scorcher. Ear scorchers separate from everyone who disagrees with them. They, they can't get along. They can't partner with anybody even if there's minor theological differences. Ear scorchers use name calling to unfairly categorize people. It's like, that's not what I believe, but you, you blew it up into a straw man and start punching the straw man. That's what ear scorchers do. Ear scorchers elevate every minor doctrinal issue and difference to a first tier issue. I, I read a book this year by a guy named Dane Ortland, and, and the book was called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. Sometimes Christians, they don't know which hills are worth fighting for and which ones you shouldn't have to die on that hill. There, there's going to be secondary issues that we can be believers in Christ and we can lock arms in mission and we, we don't have to fight about those. We can have healthy debate about those, but once you start name calling and separating and, and you're an ear scorcher, don't do that. Dane Ortland says, we must not reduce the gospel witness to a generic niceness that is accommodating in every circumstance, but there's a time to fight. There's certain hills that we must not surrender, even if it's the cost of losing our lives. But pursuing unity of the church does not mean that we should stop caring about theology. But it doesn't mean either that our love for theology should never exceed our love for real people. And therefore, we must learn to love people amid our theological disagreements. Friends, the unity of the church was so valuable to Jesus, he died for it. If we care about sound doctrine, let us care as much about the sound doctrine of the unity of the church. So, don't be an ear scratcher. Don't be an ear scorcher. We are called to skillfully fill ears with sound doctrine. Now, the application of deep doctrine is the only approved treatment for itching ears. So, and, and don't, don't worry about like contemporary methods either. Don't make contemporary means a, a doctrinal issue. I, I said on the first day we launched the church, I said, we want to communicate timeless truth in timely ways. And so, that's why we have Bibles that were translated into English. You don't have to learn Greek. It's a timely method. That's why we use electricity. That's why we, 
We, we use modern means to, to create vehicles to, to deliver the doctrine. And so some people want to like make the vehicle a doctrinal issue. Don't do that. We, we can have all kinds of different methodology. I know it was a stretch the first 15 minutes of the service, but your kids were loving it. And that's what we did all week. And it's like, man, we want to use every available means to get sound doctrine in us and out. Our job is to get the doctrine right and get the doctrine out through every available means. Now, notice he says why their ears itch. He, he concludes by saying this. It says, they gather, they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's the reason. They, they have these passions within them. There's passions for pleasure. There's passions for power. We want to be in control. You know, you know what sound doctrine does? Sound doctrine continually confronts my sinful passion to control everyone and everything. And so that's what these ear scratchers do. They convince you, you can stay in control. You don't have to surrender control. And we love to hear that. It suits our own passions. Or it suits our passions for peace. Some people don't want power, they want peace. They want everybody to get along. They don't want any controversy. They're conflict avoiders. And so you know what they do? They don't hold tight to sound doctrine. They say, we just need to love Jesus. Yes, we need to love Jesus. But you can't love Jesus if you don't know Jesus. And you don't, can't know Jesus unless you have right doctrine about Jesus. We need to hold on to the things that are true about Jesus. Look at the last verse, verse four. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So there's two results here of filling your ears with bad doctrine. Number one, you turn away from listening to the truth. Number two, you wander into myths. Are you familiar with the law of entropy? The, law, the second law of thermodynamics, you've heard of this? I, I always sound so smart when I say the second law of thermodynamics. It just simply says this, everything tends to drift toward disorder. Without intentional effort to put things in order, without burning calories, without some intellect, without some organization, everything in your life will be chaos. That's the way the world works. God built that into the world. Actually, that's actually the curse. It wasn't like that when God created it. The curse created this second law of thermodynamics. If you don't believe that, just go into your son's room after cleaning it up, come back 15 minutes later. What happened? Entropy. Everything tended toward disorder without intelligence in that room, um, just your son. And so everything just goes into disorder, right? So that's what happens to, to, to a room. The same is true in spiritual laws. There is a tendency for you to drift toward chaotic doctrine, unsound teaching. You know what that means? Every day, I have to continually expend energy. I have to think. I have to order my life around things that are true or I will drift, as it says, I'll wander off into myths. And so we don't want to do that. Good theology is not our natural bent. We're all born bad theologians. We're all, none of us are born believing sound doctrine. You know what that means? We all have to be born again. God has to open our ears. And so I, I knew that this would be like an avalanche of doctrine to you this morning. I just want to ask you, have you heard the core doctrine coming through what we're saying here? The only way that we can know God, love God, be reconciled to God, spend eternity with God, is if our ears are open to the fact that my ears itch, I don't like to hear hard truth, and yet I need hard truth to confront my will. And here's the truth. The doctrine is the doctrine of man. We're born sinful. We're born bent, disoriented away from God. And the the God of all grace comes and wants to perform a rescue mission. The way he does that is he speaks. He speaks through his word. He puts it in your ear. Once it's in your ear, you're responsible for what you do with it and how you respond. You have to respond to sound doctrine or sound doctrine has no effect on your life. So my question is this. 
Most of us in this room have heard plenty of sound doctrine over the course of your years. You know who Jesus is. You know he was God who became man. You know he died on that cross. Why did he die? He died to pay the penalty for your sin. Not the whole sin of the, yes, everybody's a sinner. And Jesus pays the sin, the sin debt, yes. But what about what Jesus did on the cross personally was for you? Has God ignited that in your heart? Has that ever become real to you? Until you respond in repentance and faith, you're gonna wander off and stay lost in a world that wants to captivate you with new and exciting and fluffy and soft, tell you you're the greatest. You don't need to be saved. You don't need a savior. And yet God says the opposite. And every day we come and wrap our lives and anchor our lives to that truth. And it has practical implications for the way that we live our lives every day. If your doctrine is not transforming your behavior, you are not believing the sound doctrine. I want us to stand together. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment? I want to give you a chance to respond to what you've heard today. It would be, it would be so inappropriate just to rush out of here without responding. So, so how do we respond? Every time you hear sound doctrine, I have a responsibility to respond in two ways. Number one, I have to believe it and I have to repent of the things that I haven't believed were true. So what have you heard? What's the Holy Spirit said to you this morning? Have you filled your ears with wax this week so that it's really hard for truth to land in there? There's no space in there because there's all this other stuff. Maybe this week you need to turn off those other voices. Ask the Spirit of God to fill your ears with the Word of God and respond in repentance and faith. And listen, if maybe for the first time you're hearing things, like you've heard these words before, but like you're hearing these things at the level of your soul. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit doing a work of grace in your heart. He's calling you to respond and place yourself under the authority and the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Have you done that? We've talked about the doctrine of last things. Are you absolutely certain that if you died today, you'd be in heaven with Christ because you've trusted Christ and his work on the cross alone for your salvation? If not, I wanna invite you to respond. You can respond right there in your own heart. At the end of the service, we always have pastors here at the front. They'd love to pray with you. You can go out the back. You'll see a cross illuminated on the wall across the way. There's pastors there ready to answer your questions and lead you to Christ. Don't numb yourself to truth this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Our ears so often are filled with things that are less than helpful. And I pray today you'd open ears that are deaf, open eyes that are blind. Help us to hear and see the glory of your son, Jesus, and the work he did on that cross on our behalf. Draw people to salvation. I pray that we wouldn't just hear these things and tuck them away, categorize them and archive them in our heart, but that we would respond in repentance and faith urgently to what we've heard. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.